0: Welcome to the Burnout to Bless podcast. I am your host, Tara Reinbolt, and it is my mission to help you take back control of your life, overcome burnout, and reclaim your happiness. Trust me, if I can do it, you can do it. I went from totally burned out human resources professional looking to find my purpose in life to finally kicking burnout to the curb and finding my God led mission. If you're ready to start living your best life today, like right now, literally this second, then you've come to the right place. Consider me your own personal business and life coach. Now let's get this party started and dive into today's episode. Hello everyone, I hope that you're all having a great week. I know that the week is kind of ending for me here and I can't tell you how much of a better place I am now that the week is ending. (laughs) My kids have been sick with a cold the last few days and because they're not feeling well, they've been a little temperamental, so it's been a little bit of a lot to deal with. And I am just so happy that they're starting to feel better. Therefore, they're happier. (laughs) Therefore, it makes my life a little bit better or a lot better. And I get to have a chat with you guys on this podcast on a topic that has been weighing on my mind for several weeks now. And the reason why it's been weighing on my mind, and I wanted to present it in a way that makes the most sense, is because for those of you that have tried to manage your stress on your own, or for those of you that have tried to overcome burnout on your own, the things in the process that I'm telling you to follow are not what you're going to find when you Google how to overcome burnout. They're not going to be what you come across when you Google how to manage your stress more effectively. And I wanted to get into why that is. So for many of us that have tried to do this on our own, what you're going to come across is time management hacks, and then also productivity hacks. And what those are, are tactics. But the issue with using tactics first is if you're not mentally in a place where you're going to be able to actually follow through on those tactics, then there's no point in trying to utilize them. So let me repeat that. The tactics of managing your time better or productivity hacks that you may come across, if you do not actually use them, they're not going to work. (laughs) So for many of you, maybe you start using them, but then a week or two weeks later, you fall off the wagon and then you go right back to your old habits. And I want to tell you why that is, A, and then B, I want to explain my process, which is Helping you reprogram your brain. That is the first step in the process because you have to declutter and organize and become self aware so that when you go to utilize these time management and productivity hacks, that I will definitely get into as we progress into this podcast. But what happens is. If you're able to be in a place where you're actually able to follow through and not quit after week one or week two, then you're going to start to see the fruits of your labor. And that's why I have you follow this approach first. And I want to get into the science behind it because I know for most of you high achievers that have gotten into work burnout, most of you think that you know it all. You think, oh, well, I already know how to do this. I've been there. I've done that. Well, then let me ask you a question. If you've been there and you've done that, but you're just not getting the results that you want, ask yourself why. (laughs) The reason why is because you're getting in your own way. It's your mind. It's going back when things get tough, when you get stressed out to your old behaviors, to your old habits. And I want to explain the science behind why so that you have a clear understanding for why it's necessary to follow my process from start to finish instead of saying, okay, step one, totally can see how that applies to me. Step two, Nah, not so much. Step three, yeah, that makes sense logically. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to follow that step in the process. Step five, that makes sense too. So what you're doing is you're cherry picking what applies to you and what does not. And I'm here to tell you that that does not work. And I want to go into a little bit more about my background so that you (laughs) can believe what it is that I'm saying, coupled with the science that I'm about to go into. My expertise was in human resources. And what I did in human resources is I would develop the job descriptions, what it is that this person was responsible for, how they were going to be successful in that position. In addition, I would design a workflow for each position within the department. So what I mean by this is you have person A that does steps one through five, and then they hand off their part of the project or their part of their work to their colleague. And then their colleague does steps six through 10. And then their colleague then moves it to steps 11 through 15. So do you see how that Process works, you have handoff one, handoff two, handoff three. And you don't want to overwhelm person one because then they're not going to give their work timely to person two and so forth. So the design of the workflow is extremely important so that nobody gets overwhelmed and that everyone is happy, everyone is productive and efficient, right? So what we would do in order to create this design is we would follow time management and productivity processes. We would put those processes step by step into place. And what would happen is people would typically get hung up and not necessarily follow through on those processes. And it was so difficult at times to understand why some departments could follow a process and it worked beautifully and there'd be no overwhelm. And then you have another department that would not be able to follow through on their processes. And it took me overcoming burnout to really figure out, it's a breakdown in the mind. It's because you have person A not following through in a timely manner and they're not following and they're not working the steps that they were supposed to. And therefore, person two receives the delay and then therefore their timeline gets pushed up and then they get stressed. And then it's this chain reaction. So do you see how one group can follow the process to a T and it worked beautifully. And then another group cannot follow the process or they do follow the process, but not in its entirety. And therefore, there is a breakdown. Therefore, they get overwhelmed. And it's because they're not following through in a timely manner. And this is what happened to me in my position over time as I went down the rabbit hill of burnout, my follow through in working my step-by-step process and my step-by-step tactics on how to be productive and efficient, there would be a breakdown because I would procrastinate or I would fall into perfectionism mode. Therefore, I would get in my own way, right? So that is why tactics do not necessarily work for people that are going to get in their own way. That is why we go through reprogramming your brain first so that you can then actually work the steps of the time management piece and follow through step by step, okay? So I am now going to dive into the science of how our brain works. Our brain is wired to be efficient, And therefore, it develops ways to stay efficient. And how that works is through creating habits. You can create a habit in three ways. One is you learn the steps, steps one through five. For example, you learn how to drive a car. You get in the car and you need to back up out of your garage So what do you do? You put the key in the ignition, you make sure that your mirrors are good, you make sure there's nothing obstructing the driveway so that you can effectively get out, right? And then you look to the rear view mirror and you put your foot on the gas pedal so that you're able to back out of your garage without hitting anything, okay? Okay. And then you put your foot on the brake and then you put your foot on the gas pedal because now you're pulling out and you're driving down the road. So what happens here is you learn this process and then you did it over and over again. This process typically takes 21 days and then you have learned a new process that your brain is going to automatically follow through on. So I'm going to say for 99.9% of us, we don't think on step one, step two, step three, step four on how to drive a car from point A to point B. We don't think about backing up. We don't think about driving on the highway. It's just an automatic process. And the reason why it's automatic is because we learned how to do it and then we repeated it over and over again and then our brain categorized it as automatic. Now our brain does this so that you're able to learn new things, you're able to make sound decisions. Our brain is designed, like I said, to be efficient. Therefore, it categorizes things as automatic so that it has enough brain power to learn new things. It has enough brain power to problem solve and make sound decisions so that is why that is happening another way that you're going to develop habits is kind of one and the same and that is by reacting so strongly to a situation that you're developing a new habit and what that looks like is you develop a coping mechanism number 1 or you have a reward that is so powerful that it automatically generates a new habit. And I am going to go into an example of a coping mechanism. And for those of you that have followed the podcast from start until today's episode, I apologize if I'm repeating my example, but hey, maybe it'll sink in more given that I'm reusing the same example over and over again. When I was in high school, I had to deliver a presentation in front of our whole school. It was my senior year, and my school had about 4,000-ish students, and therefore, I had to give two different presentations, one in front of 2,000 and another in front of another 2,000. And I spent a lot of time crafting this speech so that people would laugh. I had some jokes in there well, (laughs) let's just say they didn't land. There was crickets. I fell flat on my face and I will never forget it because I remember it like it was yesterday. My stomach dropped almost like I went over the first hill on a roller coaster and my heart started to speed up. I started to have immediate anxiety. It was awful, okay? It was not good. I had an immediate physical reaction because I was utterly humiliated and embarrassed that my speech did not go the way that I envisioned it to go, right? So, I had an immediate strong mental and physical reaction. So, after that presentation, I, of course... Was still in high school at the time and then went into college and then went into my human resources career and presentations in front of people, right? (laughs) It was just part of being a college student. Part of being in human resources is presenting in front of lots of people. And how I was able to push myself to manage my fear, and manage my anxiety was by going through this rigorous process of developing presentations. I would create a presentation and then I would refine it. I would spend a lot of time on it, making sure that it was perfect. And then I would literally write out verbatim, word for word, as to what I was going to say. Of course, that wasn't on the slides because... I didn't want anyone to know just how insecure I was that I wasn't able to give a presentation off the cuff, you know, in order to summarize like most good presenters are able to do. So that is how I coped with my fear and anxiety. I created this perfectionism cycle of how to create presentations. It was totally unnecessary. And it took up so much of my time. And then as I went further into my career, it morphed into even higher sense of fear and anxiety. I would get so worked up about having to go to a meeting and presenting my ideas or where I was at with a project, even to my colleagues the heartbeat would come in, my stomach would start to hurt. It was like I was reliving those physical symptoms over again from the fear and the anxiety. Anytime I was put into a similar presentation and that was basically my mind and my body going into overdrive, trying to save me from the threat Of humiliation, the threat of embarrassment. So, what I did is I developed a coping mechanism, and that coping mechanism was perfectionism. I had to prepare, prepare, and make sure everything was perfect for when I would go into a meeting, for when I had to present. So, you can see that strong reaction that I had morphed into such a strong coping mechanism of perfectionism. So that's one example of how a coping mechanism can develop. Another example of is when a reward is so powerful, it automatically develops a new habit. So I had this idea growing up that in order to receive praise, in order to receive recognition and to be successful, you had to work hard. So I modeled that going into my career and I started to see the results that I wanted to see, such as praise, recognition. I even received a offer to take the lead position within the department. And this reinforced my belief that I had to stay late. I had to write up those emails, keep everyone updated at all times and work hard. And that would create the achievement, the praise and recognition that I was after. So it was a positive reward. It was such an impactful reward for me that moving forward, I followed those action steps of staying late, sending out those emails, making sure that I am getting everything done that I said I was going to do. Not that you shouldn't do that. That's not what I'm saying. But based on the results, it then catapulted me into people pleasing. Now, (laughs) let's get real here. I am definitely had a people-pleasing issue even before this position, but it just took those beliefs that I already had and reinforced them by showing my brain that, yes, your thought system that you've developed is accurate. It's true. So the reward was so powerful that I then created a whole new set of habits, which was the people-pleasing piece. Now, This can positively happen to you as well. For example, you cut out sugar and then within a month, you drop 15 pounds. Yeah, maybe 15 pounds is a little extreme, but you see how that's a really positive result. And because of those positive results, your brain has such an immediate reaction That you now are, I'm never going back to sugar again, right? And then this habit that you used to have of craving sugar, of wanting sugar, it's all of a sudden gone because your positive reward of losing the weight and keeping it off was so monumental to your brain that you'll probably never go back to it again. So it can work for you and it can work against you. In my case of the example of just working hard and sending out those emails, for example, that led to people pleasing, ultimately what was happening with my coping mechanism and my rewards is I was thinking specific things that then led me to feel specific emotions and i wanted to avoid those or i wanted to feel those. So in the case of the coping mechanism, i specifically went through thought, feeling, action of i do not want to be humiliated, i do not want to be embarrassed, i don't want the judgment. So i'm going to follow these specific steps when it comes to presenting. And then for the reward, I wanted to feel that achievement, praise, and recognition over and over again. So the thought of I have to stay late in order to send these emails out to keep everybody updated, that then became an automatic habit for me. So do you see how I was trying to avoid specific emotions and how I was trying to feel specific emotions that I put into the process on how to overcome burnout because, You need to get to the root of that. But I'm going to start at step one in overcoming burnout. So the self-awareness piece. Most of us, we're operating automatically. As I mentioned, we have these habits that are on autopilot. And for some of us, that's a good thing. It's getting you good results. And then for others, it's a bad thing. It's causing you to stress. It's causing you to... Dig yourself deeper into the burnout rabbit hole. And because of that, you have to take a look at your life from a ground up perspective. You have to look to see, okay, what is it that I'm experiencing on a daily basis? That is why the first piece of the puzzle is self-awareness. That is why I created the four phases of burnout, ambition, if only, the victim phase, and total burnout. Because you have to take a look at the signs and symptoms that is showing you or revealing that you're in one of these phases of burnout. Because as I've mentioned a million times over, You can't solve a problem if you don't even know that you have a problem in the first place. So that's why it all starts with self-awareness. So if you go back to episode one and two and you review what are the signs and symptoms of each phase of burnout, and then you have someone go over that checklist with you to help you realize that, hey, maybe you think that you are not having an issue here, but you are. And here's some examples. Because for most of us, we don't realize this is even happening to begin with. All we know is that we're stressed out and we feel like it's normal. Oh, it's just a normal part of the job. It's just a normal part of life. No big deal even though you find yourself in the same situations on a daily basis, stressing out. That's why there's a better way. So as I've mentioned in previous episodes, if you do not identify with the fact that you're burned out and you only identify with the fact that you're stressed, you can still follow these steps in order to effectively and consciously deal with your stress versus letting your automatic brain run on autopilot that leads us to self-sabotaging behaviors. And like I said, for those of us that just feel like we're stressed out, you're not most likely achieving your goals or following through on those time management productivity hacks right? <laughs> and following this process is going to allow you to declutter your brain, organize it, bring those self-sabotaging behaviors that are running on autopilot in the background to the light, to your thinking brain where you can actually know, oh, wow, I'm, I'm in the process of procrastinating right now. I need to stop what I'm doing and I need to course correct, right? So this process that I go over, each step of overcoming burnout can be applied to those of you that are working on meeting a goal or just working on being more efficient, more productive, and managing your stress better. Okay? So that's why self-awareness, you need to go back to episode one or two to go over those four phases of burnout. Okay? And then step number two The science behind going over the consequences has also to do with you need to have that aha moment, that, oh, crap, this is my life. (laughs) And in experiencing that aha moment, that slap in the face that reality sometimes does to us, the idea is that you're going to react so strongly to your reality that you are able to commit to a new path of overcoming burnout right then and there. That is the idea behind taking a look at your current consequences, taking a look at if you were to continue to go down the same path that you've been going down, what those long-term consequences are going to look like. And With having that reality check, the goal is for it to shock your brain so much that you automatically create a new habit of, I am going to commit. And the habit is, I'm going to commit to following this process to overcome burnout. So that's a little bit of the science behind why it's important to have that shock value, right? To wake you up to show you that you need to make a change. And if you don't, changes will be made for you and not in a good way. <laughs> that leads us to the third step in the process, which is identifying your obstacles, which really what your obstacles are is your self-sabotaging behaviors. And if you get to the root of it, what's happening is your self-sabotaging behaviors are really your coping mechanisms, your perfectionism, your procrastination, your not following through on things that you say you're going to do, which is your self-integrity. You need to uncover what those coping mechanisms, those self-sabotaging behaviors are Because if you don't, every time you go to follow through on a time management tactic or every time you go to follow through on overcoming burnout or managing your stress or any, and I repeat, any goal, like losing 15 pounds, for example, you're not going to be able to 100% meet your goals because your coping mechanisms slash your self-sabotaging behaviors are going to get in the way. And ultimately, the self-sabotaging behaviors slash coping mechanisms are the foundation. They are the foundation that have led to other habits. That piece that I was talking about, about learning how to drive, you do it enough times, and then all of a sudden your brain is going to categorize it as automatic, right? So the same goes for our coping mechanisms, self-sabotaging behaviors, those foundational habits that are part of our lives, and they've been part of our lives for a long time, they then spawn off new habits, okay? And in the workplace setting, my perfectionism and my people-pleasing foundational coping mechanism habits, they then created supporting habits that then, (laughs) so it just like kind of grew, right? My coping mechanism, foundational habits, it then created more bad habits. Habits, And then they created more bad habits, right? Because if you do something long enough, it's then going to turn into an automatic process. And so for those of you that are dealing with relationship issues because you no longer see your spouse, you don't follow through on hanging out with your kids or your family commitments, friend commitments... Those of you that are experiencing that like I did and your spouse like mine was you don't care about our family enough. You don't have enough willpower. That is not the truth. And you should have them listen to this episode because what happened is our brain from a very early age Develop these coping mechanisms so that we would be efficient, productive, we could stay out of danger, and we would be safe. You know, you think about our ancestors that lived in caves, literally around every corner, they had danger. So their brains adapted to that so that they wouldn't get ate by a tiger, right? And of course, We have evolved throughout history, but the brain and our DNA and our genetic makeup, it's still ingrained in there and it works the same way. But now these habits that are in our brains, the way that our brain is wired, they no longer serve us for the good. You know, we're not getting... Faced with getting ate by a tiger, right? (laughs) But still, the emotions of, oh my gosh, I do not want to follow through on this because I might be embarrassed. Everybody's going to laugh. Everyone's going to judge me. Those feelings of fear are still the same at its core, right? So the self sabotaging behaviors. Those are what led you to burnout. So that's important for you to understand is although this is an automatic process that the brain follows and it's not your fault per se, you need to know what those obstacles are. But if you've listened to all of these episodes, you've decided that you're not going to follow through on the exercises. Then at some point, you have to take responsibility for your actions. And I would encourage you to go back to episode number two of consequences so that you can maybe have more of a reality check with yourself as to what your current reality is and how it's not good, and how if you continue to go down that path, it's going to lead to some severe consequences. So step three in identifying our obstacles, that is going to help you achieve overcoming burnout. That's going to help you achieve any goal because you're going to know what are your problem areas, right? So then step four is discovering where it all began. This is the part that we're starting to reprogram your brain. I was able to trace my model, which is circumstance, thought, feeling, action, result. I was able to figure out where that thought and the feeling and my actions were coming from by retracing it to the fact that I loved giving presentations. And then one day, poof, it all changed. And I had to figure out, well, why did it change, right? So I was able to trace that back. And then after I discovered where it all began and I was able to understand it and how it created other coping mechanisms in my life, such as, you know, the perfectionism that takes place of when I'm speaking And I need to make sure that it's perfect. It all kind of stems back to that when I get put into similar situations. So I was able to then, in step number five, I was able to move on from it and how I was able to actually reprogram my brain and move on and no longer have an issue or have a fear of humiliation, have a fear of embarrassment was by letting out the negativity that was floating around in my thoughts, you know, of, oh my gosh, I have to be perfect. I don't want to look stupid. I want them to, you know, know that I actually know what I'm talking about. You know, I don't want people to think that I don't know what I'm talking about because then it could negatively impact my authority and my position that I'm in when I was in corporate or... It could impact my authority and my business. Once I was able to let go of all of those crazy thoughts <laughs> and I was able to embrace them, like, oh, wow, I am so excited that I was able to learn from this experience and now I can go and teach others. So that's the silver lining. That was the positive, right? Right. And then I went and I told everyone about it because after I let go of the negativity and then I embraced the positive learning experience from it, and I was able to tell the world like, hey, this happened and I'm not ashamed. I've actually have been able to overcome it and celebrate with me. Yay, super exciting. After I was able to do that, I did a ton of Facebook Lives, and not all of them were the best, mind you, but the content was because I know what I'm talking about, my friends, <laughs> and I did not let that paralyze me like it used to. I did not sit down and try to create a presentation before I would go on Facebook and do a live, right? I would just write down a few bullet points like most effective speakers do. And I was just able to go to town and give my presentation. So I was able to reprogram my brain to no longer be fearful of presenting in front of people. So if a speaking opportunity were to come up for me to get on stage, in front of people virtually or in person, I would be one of the first people to be like, me, me. Whereas the last 10 to 12 years, I've been paralyzed by presenting. I've been doing it anyway. But the hype up of actually presenting, it took over my brain. Like I was so focused on it. Like, oh my gosh, it has to be perfect. It has to be perfect. And because it has to be perfect, I've got to do all of these things to make it perfect. And that no longer is taking over my life. I can just work on a task such as I'm going to give a training and I can then move on instead of I'm going to spend hours or days even on this particular presentation. So by following on the letting go Understanding the positive effects from the experience and then telling people about it, I've been able to effectively move on from that. And the experience and the coping mechanism of perfectionism for presenting, it no longer controls me. It no longer affects me. I have reprogrammed my brain to move on. I've reprogrammed my brain to not give a crap. Okay. So then the sixth step that we went over is commitment. And commitment has been proven time and time again through science that you don't necessarily need to follow a behavior for a length of time. If you have such a strong reaction to a reward, for example, then you can Move on to a new behavior, and essentially, what you're doing is you're no longer following the old behavior. So, I'm going to give you an example when I found out that I was pregnant with my daughter, my firstborn, Addison, I was burned out, totally and utterly burned out, and as a result, I was coping with my stress. Through things such as smoking. Therefore, I was a full time smoker. <laughs> and what happened when I found out that I was pregnant is I automatically had such a strong reaction and I had such an understanding for why. I could no longer smoke. It was not even a decision. It was just an automatic, I want my child to be healthy and therefore I am going to quit smoking now. And it's not even a, maybe I should, or I'll take the steps to quit. No, it was a, I'm no longer doing this, period. So something in my brain switched to, it's not a possibility anymore. It's not even a, like you're going to the gym, you know, you get up on a Monday morning and you're like, uh, oh, I didn't get any sleep last night. I don't really feel like it. No, for this, it was not even a choice. It was, this is a done deal. That's why you see so many people that when they get pregnant, they automatically stop their smoking, stop drinking. It's not even a question of should I, should I not? What are the steps? It's just, no, it's done, right? So their commitment is so strong that they're able to form a new habit and no longer revert back to their old habits. So that is why I have commitment as the sixth step. Now, the last piece of the puzzle That I haven't really talked about is faith. And I wanna bring up an example of how faith has successfully impacted an organization or a set of people, which is Alcoholics Anonymous. So, with Alcoholics Anonymous, they believe that they are powerless over alcohol. And they have a 12-step process. Now, the statistics behind Alcoholics Anonymous is that 50% remain sober after they join and follow the 12-step process. And then 25% after they have relapsed once or twice will then come back to the program, follow it, and are successful. So in essence, they have about a 75% success rate. Now, I want to note here that these statistics, AA puts out themselves, so you can take them or you can leave them. But I want to literally read over the 12 steps of AA. Step one, admit that you're powerless over alcohol. Step two, accept that a higher power in whatever form will restore your sanity. Now, this used to be before new age. It used to be accept that God will restore your sanity, by the way. (laughs) Step three, make a decision to turn your life and willpower over to a higher power. Step four. Take a moral inventory of yourself, which, as you have probably noticed, we've done in step three of identifying our obstacle. What is our moral inventory of ourselves? How are we self-sabotaging ourselves? Step five, admit to a higher power, another human, and yourself the nature of your wrongdoings. We did that in step five of moving on. Okay, we had to admit the negativity, or we had to admit the wrongdoings of ourselves, and then we had to tell someone else about it. So then we have step six accept that a higher power will remove your character defects. Step seven, humbly request the power, the higher power, to remove your shortcomings. Step eight, list people you hurt during your addiction. And be willing to make amends. Step nine, make amends to those people unless it would harm them. Now, we actually did this when we moved on. We wrote a letter to all of the people, situations, circumstances that we deemed that we had negativity about, right? And we then wrote a letter thanking them. We then wrote a letter to, Understand how the situation, relationship, or experience benefited us. So you can see there's some commonalities here. And let me point out okay, I did not make my program in any way, shape, or form based on Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> but I did decide to recently look into it because I knew how successful the program was. And I read a book recently which was the power of habit is what it's called. And they had several case studies in there talking about the 12-step process, which I'm going to dive into a little bit more here. Okay, so then we are on to step number nine. Make amends to those people unless it would harm them. Step 10, continue to take personal inventory when you're wrong and admit it. Step 11, use prayer and meditation to connect with the higher power. Step 12, carry the message of AA to other alcoholics and continue to practice the principles of the 12 steps in your daily life. Okay. So what, let's see. Six out of the 12 steps are faith related. Okay. And they have a 75% in essence success rate. So does that not prove to you that having faith in a higher power is actually going to make you successful? (laughs) I hope that the statistics, and it's a big eye opener, that God has a place in your life, my friends. Because when you're Overcoming an addiction like workaholism or alcoholism or whatever it may be, things are going to get hard. Things are going to get stressed. And another little piece of science for you is when we get stressed out, our brains typically automatically will revert to the habit that has been present the longest which for most of you are those coping mechanisms, foundational uh, habits that were formed at a very early age or early childhood or whenever they were formed, right? When we get stressed out, typically we revert back to our old behavior. And that is when you need accountability. That's when you need a community to help you. That's when you need the people in your life to help you. That's when you need a higher power such as God that you can have a relationship with to give you hope to walk you through why you don't need to go back to those old behaviors because you will. And maybe you slip up and instead of having this all or nothing mentality. Like, oh, I followed through on you know, these last three weeks. I've been doing really good. And then I had a few days where I slipped up. I stayed late and I worked 60 hours because I had this deadline. And then all of a sudden you're in this all or nothing mentality where you feel like, oh my gosh, I screwed up so bad. I'm going to have to start all over and I don't Feel like starting all over, so I'm just going to quit. That is when accountability, that is when God can come in, hold your hand, give you faith, and say, It's going to be okay. That's when He gives you grace. That's when you lean on a higher power such as God to take you out of that self deprecating, negative talk that you have with yourself. And then you got to ask yourself, would you talk to someone else that way, the way that you talk to yourself? Probably not. And that's where God comes into the equation. That is how I was able to overcome burnout. I had lots and lots of prayer, lots and lots of journaling. And I'm going to get into that here too. <laughs> Journaling, my friends, what happens there is when you are listening, let's say, to this podcast, if you're not actually writing down the things that I'm telling you that are going to make a difference in your life, what happens is it just goes right into the software system of the unconsciousness and we. Do not categorize it consciously so that we're able to follow through on it. So if I'm going over like a super helpful golden nugget that's going to help transform your life and you don't write it down, well, then guess what? You're going to forget it. That is why journaling this entire process is my method. That is why I taught you the model of circumstance thought, feeling, action, results. And then you have to do journaling on a daily basis to bring that subconscious into your consciousness so that you have the self-awareness to course correct. So you have the self-awareness to pray to your higher power, to show you the path, show you the way. And That is why I wanted to talk to you a little bit about faith today, that six out of the 12 steps in Alcoholics Anonymous were long ago before new age came in and God moved to if you have a higher power. (laughs) So long ago, higher power was actually just God in AA, okay? And it's since changed due to the ways of the world, if you will. And society norms, but that's why it's so important. And in the book, Reprogramming um, Your Brain, it talks about the people that were successful in AA were the ones that believed in God. And it took them, took few of the case study people that they featured, it took them to realize after relapsing that they had to work the program in its entirety. They couldn't just say, oh, well, step one's going to work, step is going to work, but step three through five isn't, so I'm not going to apply those. And in steps three through five, God is in there, and I need to have faith, and I need to have, you know, prayer. I'm not going to do those things because that doesn't apply to me. They realize the hard way after consequences in their life of going back to alcoholism and then coming back and realizing, okay, the common denominator here is that I'm not following the process, A, and B, I'm not following it in its entirety, which is bringing God into my life or having a higher power in my life. So that's why faith is also so extremely important in overcoming burnout, okay? So the next step in the process is creating an actual blueprint that you're going to be able to access on a daily basis. But in order to create that blueprint, in order to follow through, like I talked about with the tactics, you need to declutter your brain and reprogram your brain so that your automatic bad behaviors are not running the show because if they are, you're not going to meet your goal of overcoming burnout. That's why it's so important to follow the steps in its entirety, my friends. That's why I wanted to talk to you today and it's been weighing on me is because I wanted you to understand the science behind the process. I wanted you to understand that these foundational habits such as your coping mechanisms and doing things over and over again are what caused you to get into burnout in the first place. And you need to unpack that. You need to reprogram your brain so that they don't run the show. And that's what the process is all about. So that really concludes today's episode. I know it was a long one, but it's one that you needed to hear so that you don't go into (laughs) know-it-all mode, you know, like, oh, I'm only going to follow the steps that apply to me and the others don't. I am here to tell you that they all apply to you and you need to follow them step by step. If you're going to have a transformation, take back control of your life, overcome burnout, or just manage your stress permanently more effectively, my friends. I appreciate you hanging in there with me and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Burnout to Bless podcast. I hope that you found value in today's episode and I pray that you will make the commitment to take back control of your life and that God will give you the courage to move forward to live the life that you were meant to live. If this episode at all inspired you, please do me a huge favor and subscribe to the Burnout to Bless podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave me a review. By subscribing, you'll be the first to be notified when new episodes air. And by leaving a review, you'll help this podcast get noticed and hopefully change someone's life. If you're ready to take the next step to overcome burnout and live the life of your dreams, email me at coachinginfo at burnout.com. B-U-R-N-O-U-T, the number two, blessed.com. Again, that's coaching info at burnout, the number two, blessed.com to learn more about my customized coaching programs. Now remember, Rome was not built in a day. All you need to do is take it one step at a time, my friends, and I promise you, you will get to your destination. Until next time.